Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. We have a busy episode today. Starting out, we have a tribute to takeoff of the superstar Atlanta rap group Migos who died way too young this week at age 28. We have Andre G and Simon Vozik Levinson on hand for that, and we'll be playing a bit of unheard takeoff interview from Simon, as well as a bit of my interview on this show with Coach KMP, founders of Migos' label Quality Control. And then we have something totally different, a look at Carly Rae Jepsen's new viral TikTok hit, The Loneliest Time, and what it means for the current state of pop. First, we'll be talking to the brilliant singer-songwriter Rufus Wainwright, who's Carly Rae's unlikely duet partner in that song. And then Tomas Mayer will join me to talk about the larger phenomenon of fans basically remixing songs on TikTok, picking parts of songs that weren't intended as the hook, and making those parts the hook on their own. But again, to start, here's our tribute to Takeoff. So I have with me Andre G and Simon Vozik Levinson, and we wanted to pay tribute to Takeoff from Migos, who died at the very young age of 28 in what appears to be, it's a little early to say, but it appears to be an accidental shooting. Thanks for having me, first of all. Yeah, it seems that way. All of the speculation and reports I've seen indicate that he wasn't even involved in whatever happened and was just a stray bullet, literally. It's obviously incredibly awful on a human level, on an artistic level. Migos were absolutely one of the most important groups in any genre of the last decade or so. You both have interviewed him. Simon, you did a feature back in 2014. Andre, you just talked to him a few weeks ago. Yep. Yeah, it was over Zoom. We talked about the album he and Quavo had the only built for Infinity Links that they were about to put out. I think it was, yeah, it was literally the Monday before that album was going to drop. And Takeoff, he was cool. He didn't talk very much. Based on my research of previous interviews, like, I didn't expect him to, honestly. But he was still cordial and everything and friendly. Yeah, it's just... It really sad, like you said, this is my first, this is such a morbid dynamic that's happening with rap writers where we talk about like people we've talked to who this is actually like the first time that's happened to me. So it's just, it is just terrible. Just talked to him. They just put out this album like 25 days ago or something. And it, it seemed like Migos as a group had a little bit of a split. Maybe you can explain that real quick, but they seem pretty optimistic about the future when you talk to them. Yeah, it seemed Quavo and Takeoff were just going on to forge their own path as a duo for the foreseeable future. That was their plan. And when I spoke to them, they clarified that Migos is still a thing. It's still active. We are not, we didn't disband, but we're, we're trying this duo thing. I enjoyed the album that they released. I felt like they, they still had the Migos dynamic even between just those two. So I was still in tune to what they had going on and anticipating future music. Yeah, the missing member was offset, and I guess the, maybe there was just some kind of like romantic situation with someone's ex-girlfriend, and it was that kind of thing. And I think Offset is also suing their label quality control, so it's like a combination of business and personal issues. But Quavo and Takeoff 
made this album only built for infinity links all these bitches trying to get hit make a whole wet looking at diamonds on my neck and on my wrist niggas ain't bullshit walk through the club with a f and n in this bitch which i actually liked a lot and i think was better than culture three which was the last migos album s u c c e s s heaven success b l e s s yes niggas i agree i felt like it was more it was shorter which made it better i think i there were moments <laughs> on culture three that i enjoyed but it felt like a little bit too long felt like there were some songs that were kind of just i don't know maybe there for the sake of streaming or having a bigger track list but only built for infinity links felt like a tighter album and again like i said it felt like they had that migos dynamic without it ever feeling stale i, I enjoyed it as well as you said he was quiet but a lot of people call him the glue in the group he was jonah weiner when he wrote our cover story Migos said that he, he was the most rhythmically adept member of Migos. I mean, Simon, can you maybe break out your idea of how he fit into the group? You know, something that many people, whether it's journalists who spoke with the Migos or even people who were really close to them in real life have said, is that Takeoff was someone who was a man of few words, someone who wouldn't speak unless he really had something he wanted to say. But when he did speak, it was really memorable and he made a big impression. That's certainly the way it was. When I got to meet him, this was in the summer of 2015, Migos were reaching a new peak at that time. They were trying to cash in the success that they had with a few really big and popular singles and convert that into an even bigger kind of mainstream success. Yeah. So this was like Versace. 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 Bando. Hannah Montana. Songs like this, these just like incredibly catchy, repetitive, high energy kind of songs that really captured everyone's attention. And it was really, it was a really magical kind of moment. And this was a moment when it felt Drake copped on the Versace remix. Justin Bieber was talking about how much he loved Versace. Like it was really, there was a real moment happening there. And there was a lot of attention on Migos and a lot of pressure on them. And at that time, actually, Offset was unfortunately in jail due to some charges that he had. So at that time, it was just Quavo and Takeoff who I met in person. And then it was up to the two of them to represent Migos to the world. And between those two guys, Quavo was, of course, the kind of the, more of the front man, the guy who did more of the talking, had a lot of energy, always trying to get a laugh or say something entertaining or clever, similar to how you would expect listening to him on record. Takeoff was, was quieter for sure, was more withdrawn into himself. But Absolutely. When he would start talking, he would, I remember him just saying like things that were pretty like profound and real. And he would always show that he had been, you know, he wasn't like tuned out of the conversation even when he wasn't talking. He was like he was listening and then he would chime in with a really like thoughtful, considered perspective. I had that similar dynamic as well, because as I was prepping my interview with both of them, I ended up realizing I had more breakout questions for Quavo than Takeoff because Quavo has a lot of extracurricular stuff going on. And I was worried that Takeoff, it, I don't know, that it would be like a resentful situation or he'd be a little agitated that I was like repeatedly asking Quavo like certain individual questions. But Takeoff, like you said, he was like really engaged. I think he wasn't like tuned out, like you said. He was just really like 
as into it as Quavo was. And it let me know a good amount about their dynamic. Like you said, quiet but never tuned out, engaged always. Like I said, before we get back into our conversation, I wanted to take a minute to play some of my interview with Coach K and P, the founders of Quality Control, Migos' label. They had some interesting things to say about their early days. The first real meeting, what they called a bando, <laughs> at the time was Quavo's mother's house. But in the basement, it was a computer sitting on a chair. Yeah. In the basement. They had a blanket. <laughs> the booth was in a closet with the blanket in front of it. And I remember walking in that basement and hearing some of the most incredible music I heard. And I was so excited when I left out of there. I mean, going in there, I couldn't really show how excited I was. Again, it's a recruiting thing. Like, right. when you're recruiting something, it's like, <laughs> you can't really show how excited. You make them feel, but you can't show the excitement. But I remember leaving up out of there, and they gave me a CD, and I called P. I was like, dog, I'm telling you, man, this shit is crazy. I'm going to bring you this CD. Just listen to the music. Let's talk about the song Versace for a second. I mean, whoa. I mean, I just love the Versace stuff. That song, people didn't know what to think of it at first. The sheer repetition, the sheer energy, and it, it became unstoppable. Drake jumped on it. How did the Drake thing happen? Drake seen them at the birthday bash. Yeah, at the birthday bash. I wasn't there. Yeah, Drake ran into, we was at the birthday bash, which is, uh, you know, New York has a summer jam. So Hot 107.9 Atlanta, birthday bash is like the big, concert of the summer right. you know everybody come but uh we had just put out wire in which was the first mixtape that was put out when we signed the guys right and the tape had only been out four days that's when music used to drop on tuesday right. we had dropped it on that tuesday birthday bash was that saturday and drake walked right up to me and was like hey he's like coach this your group he said yeah he said man i've been listening to them for the last four days and he quoted a lyric off of one of the songs it wasn't one of the songs that was out you know it was like another song he quoted it was like, we exchanged numbers, you know what I'm saying? And then like a week later, he reached out. It was like, man, I want to jump on one of them records. I actually sent him two records. Yeah. You know, at the time, we sent him two records. And we weren't even thinking about him jumping on Versace, for real, for real. But we sent him Versace in another record, like, this is the record we want you on. And he sent the verse back on Versace. Coach, I think you made the point that when Drake jumped on and adopted that triplet flow, that was a big moment for... That oh, sound, no, yeah. It was such a big moment. I mean, at that moment, that's when I think that rap pattern, that cadence changed hip-hop because Drake being a big artist that he was, shit, he's the biggest, right? With him coming in and adopting that flow, right? I watched the whole rap culture take that cadence. To a point, I, I'm not even going to lie, like <clears throat> me and P, we was getting a little angry because it was like, a lot of, you know, artists that was on bigger levels was getting all the praise, you know what I'm saying? It's like, but this these boys shit, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, yeah. shit, we had to swim through that shit, you know what I'm saying? Seriously. Yeah. Are you surprised by anything that's happened with Migos since? Because, I mean, they became pretty culture-dominated for us. Nah, man, I feel like it's way more to come because they have so much style and individually, you know, like, they put out their solo projects, so you got to see the individuality of how creative each one of them are that... I think it's an endless, whenever they get tired, you know? But I think it's so much more to come. Andre, you can just talk about their importance in general and to Atlanta rap and everything else over the past few years. Yeah, like you said, they were pretty much one of the quintessential rap acts of the 2010s with that triplet flow over the particular wing of trap production that became like Migos sound. Like 
you know, they were prolific. They had a lot of hits. They had a lot of relationships across the industry, which made them a part of a lot of moments, even outside of Migos. So they always, throughout the 2010s, they just felt like ever-present in rap culture, in the scene. I mean, it wasn't just the music. One thing, like you said, to have your own distinct sound, like of all the hundreds of thousands of rappers out there, like there aren't very many that are easily or quickly identifiable as like, yo, that's their sound. That's the Migos sound. That's a sound that future artists, you can trace back to them. Migos had that, which was incredible on its own. But then on top of that, they had the image, the sonic universe they created with the ad libs and then particular type of trap production and the charisma, like it, it all came together for them. And like, they really had star power. And like I said, were just one of the most influential acts of the 2010s for sure and atlanta rap and just in general the way that they changed the trap sound is feel like after them a lot of like pop artists a lot of artists who weren't previously exploring trap they started delving into the trap sound with their singles and their albums in a way that we hadn't heard before them And that's a testament to their, again, <laughs> their impact. So for sure. That's a great point. They helped it completely take over, not just hip hop, but pop music in they general. Did, yeah. They were the bridge to the pop charts for sure. Would either of you want to pick out some of the best takeoff verses or moments? In when I wrote my memoriam piece, thinking on his impact on rap culture, there were a couple that stood out to me, so I'll speak on those. One was his verse on Commando, I think. All my niggas on the rumble on Commando. We the first one that came out with the bando. Talking about you got the elbow, what they going for? I'm about to start a story, niggas, for that Migo flow. When Simon talks about a high-energy, kind of frenetic Migo sound, like his verse, what he did there, it's like quintessential for me. Like the energy, the flow, obviously the cadence, but the way he was able to flip his cadence, flip his delivery from bar to bar and change the tone, change the energy. That's just rap 101 type of shit, type of stuff. No, you can curse away. <laughs> that, that was very impressive. His t-shirt verse. Neck, water, faucet, water, market, burst, market, and pint, stocking, and next, keep biting, neck, wrist on hockey, hockey. That was, if I recall correctly, the second single after Bad Abuji for culture. And so obviously Bad and Bougie has the big fuss about, oh, Takeoff wasn't on the song. Like, why was he not on the song? The everyday struggle moment, even. But then yes. the follow-up single after that is one of his best moments as far as the, his verse, his, his contributions to that record. So it just exemplified that, yeah, I might not have been on the big single, but don't get that confused with me not being like extremely talented. Like it was just they later clarified that it was just a circumstance thing, but his T-shirt verse really emphasized his, his skills as well. And one more verse that I actually didn't make the piece that I thought about was Hotel Lobby. Let's get it. Hop off a 16 passenger. This a G5. No, this not a challenger. Big one. I keep some members with me in the fridge. The coat seats. They some cannibals. Eaters. They like the Which was, I guess, not an Amigo song exactly. It was uh, from the Unk and Few era, just him and Quavo. But it was after this time, like you referenced earlier, where things were murky and messy and people didn't know what was going on with Migos. They didn't know what, whether they were a group, whether they were attacked. And then they just come with their announcement. Okay, we have this. We're starting our own chapter as Unconfused. And then they come with the Hotel Lobby track and Takeoff was like the first verse. And you're like, oh, this is actually like really good. And you're tapped back into what they have to offer from there. So I think those were like three notable verses that kind of just had some kind of narrative 
aspects of it reflected within the verses. Hey! Raindrop, drop top, drop top, smoking on cooking the hot box. Cooking, fucking on your bitch, yeah, that, that, that. Cooking up dope in the crock pot, pot. We can- it's worth talking about the bad and bougie thing. I think in a way it almost adds to his mystique. He said they clarified it. To be honest, I never felt I was get I got any clarity. They just said he was busy or something. It's we'll play a clip of it, but there's the his famous confrontation with it was like dj academics and joe buddy yeah, everyday joe struggle dj academics who's just who makes a career out of being the most disrespectful person on earth was just like pressed it to his face take off listen i feel like there's like a running joke with with you being left off bad and bougie like how do you feel with the group is succeeding but sometimes people pinpoint like why isn't he here why isn't he turns up like the other two i ain't left out bad and bougie you think i'm left out bad and bougie say again you say i'm left out bad and bougie uh what'd you say you say I'm left off bad and bullshit? Yeah. Do it look like I'm left off bad and bullshit? Nah, I mean, it don't look like it. Like, why were you left off of it? And he just didn't like the question, understandably. In this one case, I will say it was a reasonable question. <laughs> it wasn't asked nicely, but I, I still don't get it. Andre, I was glad you mentioned T-Shirt. That's one of my favorite Migos songs, too. And to me, yeah, that, that song is actually a really great example of what Takeoff did best. That song, Quavo Offset on that song, have a kind of the faster, more up-tempo delivery. Takeoff slows it down. He's just, he's like taking his time very deliberate. He had an amazing sense of timing that really captures your attention and really makes that song work and stand out in a really memorable way. His just his cadence on on that song is really incredibly distinct. The other thing you said that I think is also worth returning to is ad-libs are such a big part of the Migos sound, right? And Takeoff's presence on great Migos songs, even when it's not his verse, it's not a Takeoff verse, Takeoff is in there in the mix, like repeating the catchiest or funniest part of whatever Offset or Quavo said in like a funnier and catchier way. And it just, and that he enhanced any verse that he was even in the studio for, even if he wasn't the lead performer. And that that's such a key part of that kind of interplay between all three of them is what made you know, Migos so great to me. Yeah, I actually joked like, to people who asked me about the interview that Takeoff was ad-libbing Quavo's um, answers during our interview. So yeah, it definitely reflected what we heard in the music. It says something too, by the way, that this year after whatever whatever complication there was with Offset, Quavo could have made a solo record. Instead, he chose to make a duo record with Takeoff. They were incredibly close. Quavo was Takeoff's uncle, his real-life uncle. And the trust and the bond, both musical and personal, that the two of them had is so key to their music. And you got the sense, listening to that record they put out this year, that Quavo would rather be there with Takeoff by his side than try to get maybe more attention or more shine on his own. And I think that really speaks volumes about the importance that Takeoff had and the role that he played there in that dynamic. Yeah, to take it back to the beginning, all three of these guys are related. Yeah, Quavo is Takeoff's, was Takeoff's uncle, only three years older than him. Offset is Quavo's cousin. They're all very close, closely related, grew up together. The group started at Quavo's mom's house in Gwinnett County, north of Atlanta. And for them, it was more than just like a musical group. They're not a group that got put together by a label. They're not a group that even got introduced by friends or connections. These are really family to each other. And that's that's a powerful thing. And it also, it makes this all that much more tragic. It's It's a family loss as well as a musical loss. According to Jonah's story, I guess Quavo's mother actually kind of raised all three of them. They all, at least at some point in their lives, they all call her mama. And uh, it also says that, that Takeoff was really into professional wrestling when he was a kid. When they were, before they were making music, they made a backyard trampoline into a makeshift wrestling ring. And the other two guys played sports. They both played football. But Takeoff stayed at home and was downloading beats and making demos while they were busy playing sports. And then they'd come in and add to the track. So again, he seems like a real musical core 
to the group. And I'd also note that at the end of Jonah's story, there's this whole weird thing that happens with this woman who comes in the studio, and there's an altercation, there's this whole thing, and the other two guys are off dealing with that, and they actually, and then they just drive off. But at the end, uh, Takeoff is still by himself in the studio, still recording, still reeling off all these great one-liners. He wasn't even aware of what was going on, and that, that always stuck with me. When Quavo called him the best Migo, he said it in terms of his craft and his the way he developed his melodies and his cadences, and he said that he was the youngest member, but he was the one that was most attentive to uh, his music at an early age. So that's why he called him the best, because he felt like he maybe had the most experience, even being the youngest. There was a, a moment that really struck me. I went back. Yeah, this week to my tape from my interview with Migos in 2015. And there was a moment that really struck me where Quavo was trying to play it cool, downplay their, the beginnings of Migos. He was like, oh yeah, we were just having fun and messing around and doing this and doing that. And Takeoff like interrupted him and was like, no, like we were serious about that. Music was serious to us. It was what we cared about. It was what meant something to us. It was what we wanted to be. It wasn't a joke to him. It wasn't, and it, he wasn't interested in projecting this image of like how cool he had been, which maybe was what Quavo was trying to do there. He was wanted to rather communicate how seriously he took the craft of rapping and how serious and real music was to him. And I thought that was really that really impressed me. Yeah, you gotta take time to have fun. You know what I'm saying? Experience things so you can have stuff to talk about. You know what I'm saying? Just have fun, period. That's what life about, period. You know what I'm saying? But you just playing around, but you, you know, when you were little, you felt like you you dead serious. You know what I'm saying? Know what you really want to do, you. I mean, you know what I'm saying? You probably like you dead serious for what you really want to do. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, yeah. People overseas, they treat you different. You know what I'm saying? They, they, they don't speak no English, but they know every, any, you know what I'm saying? Every verse of your word. They can speak lyric for lyric, bar for bar. You know what I'm saying? I went over there. We was on stage. We was at Paris. I held up the Paris flat. I forgot we was doing Versace. It was going crazy on Versace. I held up the Paris flat and the whole whole building just went crazy. You know, they had their own Paris flat in there too, but just something telling me to grab the Paris flat. When I grabbed it, everybody just went crazy. Like they scored a goal, like it was a soccer game. So they just went crazy. It was crazy on the field. You know what I'm saying? Drilling the rest. It just felt real good, though. Yeah. And it's not easy to make songs as catchy as Versace or Bad and Bougie or any great Migos song. It takes a lot of craft to make a song that's that dense and tightly packed with catchy rhythmic elements that stick in your head. I remember on that reporting trip, I got to see Quavo and Takeoff working together in the studio. And it was absolutely a process that involved a huge amount of craft. They would have their, one of their engineers would play a beat. They would listen to a beat for a while. And each of them, I saw both of them do this. They would spend minutes, maybe even up to like close to an hour, just repeating over and over again, repeating bars with diff- slightly different cadences, trying to make each bar as catchy and memorable as you can, trying to top each line with a slightly catchier and cl- more clever version of each line. There was absolutely a huge sense of craft and seriousness to that. And that's what made the music good. You can't fake that. Again, only 28 years old. It's so awful. And it comes, there's always been not enough rappers get to see old age. It's just as simple as that. And it's a function of America and being black in America. We've seen it too many times just recently. Yeah, like you said, people have the propensity to like blame rap, but I think it's more so about, like you said, some of the ills that are happening in America as far as like gun violence, systemic oppression, they're reflected within like the black community, within the rap scene way too often. In this instance, it seems to be just an accident, like a stray bullet. But in so many other instances, it was like 
artists were targeted for whatever reason. They had a sense of profile. It's the dynamic of a lot of artists say, I don't know who's out for me. I don't know going about my day, but everybody knows who I am, but I don't know who everybody else is and what their intentions are. So it's just shame that you work so hard. Like you were just saying, like we were talking about, you know, staying in your house as a kid to develop your craft and to develop your sound and to become the best artist you can. And to put all that effort in into it and the steeple you attain upon becoming considered a famous rapper is then perilous because of your profile. It's a shame. I think people soapbox about whatever they think their reasoning is. We litigate what somebody could have done to avoid violence instead of talking about like the violence itself and the root of it. I just hope that the people who kind of bemoan the constant death that we're inundated with in the rap community we figure out what we can do to create like safer communities better communities uh better cities for a better world i think again like i said you have to strike at the root of the violence which is poverty and systemic oppression and then from there you create you can potentially create a better environment for everybody and on top of everything texas has these extraordinarily loose gun laws which means there's guns everywhere in every community probably at this point and that's the that on top of that for this to just be an accident is it's just ugly stuff it's awful yeah it's incredibly tragic to to see another to see any young person lose their life this way to gun violence it's incredibly especially tragic when that someone is a person who had this kind of talent and whose art brought meaning to so many people's lives i was listening back to only built for infinity links that album that we were talking about that was just released last month and that's an album that to me makes clear that quavo and takeoff were starting it sounds like starting a new phase to me listening to that album what it sounds like is two people who have had hits they've had success and they're not necessarily trying for that anymore they're more comfortable with themselves it's a little bit more of a casual comfortable in their own skin kind of record it's not trying as hard and there's something beautiful and compelling about that and it's just unspeakably tragic that in the middle of that kind of reinvention and and that his life was cut short rest of peace to him and love and thoughts to his family his loved ones it's just still settling it for me that when we talk about migos one of the most again the biggest groups of the 2010s and now that's is never going to be the same again so abruptly it's hard to make sense of it's a real shame I would just maybe add, thinking back, like when Migos first came out, they were the new thing. And to a lot of people, that was something people loved. They were a new and exciting thing to maybe to other people. That was something that they didn't understand or didn't get. Now, I think with the distance that we have from that first wave of Migos hits from 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016, it's not the new thing anymore. You can go back and listen to those records as I have this week. And you can really separate from that context in a way and, and just hear how much invention and personality and charisma and musical work went into those records and yeah that there's something that's really amazing and the flip side of the tragedy is that when an artist who's made those kind of great records is gone too soon the music is still here and those records are still great If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Adidas, Walmart, Nike, Wine.com, Samsung, Lenovo, Sephora, and more. 
and even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use, and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Next up, we have a fun interview with Rufus Wainwright. He is, of course, a gifted singer-songwriter. He's been making albums since 1998. His most recent studio album was 2020's Unfollow the Rules. And now he's reaching an entirely different generation and group of fans as Carly Rae Jepsen's duet partner on her song The Loneliest Time. which, as I mentioned, has gone wildly viral on TikTok. I spoke to Rufus about recording this song and more. Such a different place to be hearing you. Yes. (laughs) I had heard of Carly Rae Jepsen, and of course I knew a couple of her massive hits from a few years ago, but then um, we got a message from her, I think, on Instagram that she was a huge fan and would love to work with me, and I was alerted by my younger staff <laughs> and so forth that she is this very successful pop person and uh, and I should you know at least you know have a conversation and I did and the first thing you realize about her when you actually meet her in person is just how sweet she is she's a lovely human being and very kind and yes is a big fan and really knew my work in detail and so I just Went with that and then went to her house one day and she had this track and I sang on it and went back, corrected some things and presto, it was done. So it was all very easy and very um, organic. And really just the best part of it was meeting Carly Rae Jepsen. (laughs) And the song's pretty good too, so it all worked out well. (laughs) Was it always that one song? Were there any other candidates or anything? No, it was that one song. It's not really my world, that sort of (laughs) full-blown pop thing. It's not that I, it's not, I appreciate it. I'm a fan of that music sometimes, but needless to say, it's not where I tend to kind of voyage. So I felt very, it was, that was a very freeing experience. I just felt like I could just go in there and be of service and sing in a different way somewhat and and just enjoy the variety. Absolutely. And it, it ends up being incredibly charming and your presence on it takes it to a different place. What's really nice about it, which I have to say, you don't see so much now. And 
Because obviously there are so many pairings at the moment, and there have been for quite a while, mega pop stars coming together to do a song. It's In fact, it's almost, I think it's the norm. And I don't want to, you know, berate them in any way, <laughs> but I would say that what I think makes mine unique with Carly is that it's totally genuine in terms of just loving the music. I feel so much with these pop pairings that there's this sort of let's combine forces and dominate the universe and you know, let's do something that everybody's heard before and, you know, put a youthful spin on it. There's a kind of like strategy there to, you know, get a wider audience or to become more, I don't know, potent or something. And I don't feel like there's any of that in what Carly and I did. I feel like we were just up there having fun. I like the song. She likes me. We became friends. And we got to make this fun video. And it's just, there's something very innocent in what we did, which I think is really very charming and very engaging. Was there anything that you found challenging about singing in this idiom? No, no, I can <laughs> sing. Look, I've sung Berlioz and Cole Porter and Bob Dylan. Shadows have fallen and I've been here all night. So, I, so this, I didn't find it challenging to sing. But I, I think probably what I found more challenging was when we did the video. Just the idea of being, I don't know, free and easy and without a care and, and not, and, and you know, and then seeing yourself reflected and realizing, oh no, I just, I look 50. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's what happens. The video also has a total charm of its own. Obviously, they're made very quickly, but anything yeah, stick out yeah. from that experience? Oh, no. It was a magical day. It really was. And first of all, I hadn't been on a big video shoot. I mean, a big video. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a big video shoot uh, considering. And I, I, when I started in this business, it was a whole other universe in terms of videos. And there was three-day video shoots and stuff. Now it's always done in one day, pretty much. But... but uh, if that, but it's, yeah, but it was fun to be on a relatively large shoot and with dancers and different sets and different costumes and some sort of storyline. It was, it felt very, it was nice to be back. I felt a bit like Norma Desmond <laughs> returning to Paramount Studios or something. <laughs> Without me, there'd be no videos, which, which isn't true, of course. But. The whole song and the video are doing really well. There's one yes. part of it that, that it, TikTok has seized upon, which is yes. the spoken word bit. Yes. <laughs> what do you make of that? It's funny because... I actually, the song is quite long, which is unusual mm. for pop songs. It's almost five minutes. And when I was, when we were first recording it and I was listening to it, I was like, oh, there's a, what is this bit here with the talking? Does this work? It's fun, but it's a little unusual. What happened was we reached the moon, but lost in space. I think we got there all too soon, but you know what? I'm coming back for you, baby. But you know that's what Carly wants, and I'm. It's not. I'm not. I don't not like it. I'm just. You know. I'm just. It's just a bit of an anomaly, shall we say? And then now it's the most popular bit, and it's funny sometimes where there are those things that jut out that you you're not sure what it means, but you just let it happen, and then. I think oftentimes those are the things that that, t that take other people's attention and become meaningful in a funny way. What's interesting, as a songwriter, one of the things that's happening with TikTok is it's almost like the kids on TikTok re-A&R or rearrange songs. Yes. And pick something as the hook. 
which never yeah. really has happened yeah. before in music history. Yeah, no. It, it's happened in the sense where producers will sample things and, you know, bass lines or like little moments. But that's, you know, a producer uh, with, a, you know, a budget and time <laughs> to reflect on where it fits in. But this is so instantaneous and so and so democratic in terms of everybody being able to do something. So it's, so yeah, it is new for sure. I would imagine when you started this year, you didn't expect to be essentially a dancer in a viral TikTok. I didn't, but I, I can't lie that it hasn't been suggested over the last <laughs> couple of years. Like when in the hell are you going to get on TikTok? So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's about time and oddly enough, <laughs> that's what you have to do these days. Does this experience make you want to dabble a little more in the world of uh, pop, qua pop? Oh, I'm not. No, it, let's just say it's not. It, it hasn't ignited a flurry of interest quite yet, but it hasn't shut the door on it either. And I have a lot of big ambitions at the moment, which is I'm working a lot in, on a Broadway musical, and I have some classical music stuff that I'm doing. Pretty, you know, dedicated to what's happening at the moment. But that being said, Pop is, this was a good, this was a positive experience. And those positive experiences are very important. <laughs> tell me a little bit about the musical, if you can. Oh, I can't tell you much. Sorry. <laughs> I think especially since Sondheim passed away, there is this need to continue that tradition of writing musicals that are unique and quirky and very challenging on very many levels. So I, I felt... I do feel a calling, shall we say, to yeah, continue that tradition. It certainly matches the way you write songs. I can yeah. 100% see that. There, there's a definite logic to that. Yeah. When will we know more about that? Hopefully sooner than later. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that's exciting. I appreciate your time. Great. Thank you so much. I'm going to a town that has already been burnt down. And I have with me Tomas Mayer. Hey, Tomas, how are you? Good. How are you, Brian? Good. What happened was I reached the moon, actually. You got lost in space? Yes. <laughs> so we're here to talk about Carly Rae Jepsen and how a part of her song has gone viral. The song is the title track to her album, The Loneliest Time. And it's a great song and a really good album. Tell me about where Carly Rae is in her career right now. Yeah, Carly Rae is in this moment 10 years after Call Me Maybe broke the internet and the world. And I think she's reached this level of like new maturity and has really connected with this like very, this set of fans that have followed her throughout her career. She just dropped this album that is incredible, still in that pop vein and has is having this like really incredible unexpected TikTok moment with this small clip from the song that you mentioned. It's weird. I feel like I have to catch some people up because for non-fans and people who don't follow music super, super closely, they might not have realized what's been happening with her since Call Me Maybe, which is she became this huge cult artist, a pop cult artist. She has a sizable and very dedicated fan base. Her album Emotion is considered a classic by a certain group of fans, certain group of critics. This song in particular has a great retro disco feel and much more legitimately disco. I mean, people say Dua Lipa has a disco feel or like a BTS's butter or something. No, this is really disco complete with the strings and everything. But yeah, like you said, the part that went viral is this sort of throwaway, seemingly throwaway spoken word part. 
And there's just something about it. TikTok has seized on it. And it is really fun. And what we want to talk about is this is something that happens on TikTok quite a lot. Basically, TikTok users do crowdsourced A&Ring slash remixing of songs. And whatever the artist thought the hook was, they might be wrong. TikTok users decide that the hook is something altogether different. In this case, yeah, it's this bridge. It's something that we've been noticing in like really, we were just talking about this, Brian, how I feel like it's really interesting that TikTok users are taking a part of a song and making it, giving it life in itself, even though that wasn't necessarily the focus of the track. I noticed it when I saw Carly Rae perform at the Greek theater in LA. Fans had no idea it was the song until that part came on and they're like, oh, I know the song. And it was just crazy <laughs> because that part is completely different. It's that spoken spoken word aspect in the bridge near literally the end of the song that is going viral. So it was really cool because Rufus was there too. And to see them sing the song together and then everyone come on to what happened was we reached the moon. It was just very fun. <laughs> yes. The clip of the amazing video for it were Carly Rae just really has a star moment. There's something, it's very hard to articulate. You have to go and find that part of the video, but there's something incredibly rewatchable. She really sparkles in that moment delivering that line. And can you articulate what's going on there? That seven seconds of video is insanely rewatchable. People will comment like, I've watched this a thousand times. <laughs> See, there, I literally saw a video analyzing how Carly Rae lip synced that song and mm. how her tongue like moves a certain way. So it makes it more like you see more emotion in it, not to reference her most iconic <laughs> album, but she, like her eyes sparkle. She's like looking away from the camera, also looking into the camera, dancing along. And then there's a drag queen and a person dressed in a star behind her. I would say it's campy in the best oh, way yeah. possible. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. It's definitely campy. Yeah. She has these beautiful earrings, her hair up, her like white blonde, and like the drag queen in the back, I think, completes it. And Rufus, of and, course. And a brilliant singer songwriter from an entirely different genre is just there. And that's great. As Rufus <laughs> really enjoys his new role as the dancer in a viral TikTok clip. So that's good. It is emblematic, again, of a thing that keeps happening. You were pointing out that it, it's happened with this Omar Apollo song. Yeah, literally I can talk to you about Omar Apollo any day of the week, but he is having this huge moment on TikTok thanks to his song Evergreen. And literally not the chorus, not a verse, but the bridge of the song, similar to Carly Rae. There's this part where, she, where he sings in this really emotional, you really made me hate myself, had to stop before I break myself, should have broke it off to date myself, you didn't deserve me at all. You know you really made me hate myself, had to stop before I break myself, should have broke it off to date myself, you didn't deserve And now he's added, you didn't deserve me at all, in parentheses, to his song, to the song's title on Spotify, so it makes it easier for people to search the song and find the viral track. And the song that was probably could have been considered a deep cut on Ivory because it wasn't a single. It wasn't the song produced by Pharrell. It was like just a song on the album that ended up really taking off on TikTok, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, the alteration of the song's title is really interesting and it shows the power of this kind of thing. And my sense is it's probably just the beginning. I would imagine that there's going to be artists who end up remixing, redoing songs to spotlight the part 
that TikTok has decided is the best part. And in live performance, I think there's, it's going to be awfully tempting to repeat that part, even if, even if it was a throwaway part in the original song. Definitely. And the other thing we've noticed too, Brian, is this sped up versions of songs that are going viral yes. as well, which I think has been really interesting because they end up being like the audio background of a lot of TikToks. And artists are tapping into that as well. I remember Confident by Demi Lovato, the super sped up version went viral. There's also a Lana Del Rey song. And they've both released the sped up versions on Spotify. They're like, might as well take the streams from it, which wow. is interesting. Britney Spanos reminded me that the one that fits both these trends and also a third trend or a third thing that always happens on TikTok, a totally random song from like 2017 going viral, which is Thundercats Them Changes, which is in fact from 2017. And for no reason that I can point to, other than being a great song, the first line of that song has become a trend, gone viral in a sped up version. So that's everything at once. That's TikTok in a nutshell. Literally, it really is. And then, I mean, let's talk about Steve Lacey as well. Like a very small clip. I and mean, this one is different because it is the chorus of the song that went viral. I bite my tongue, it's a bad But it's like this, just one aspect of the song that's going viral that people are really tapping into. And it's not necessarily translating as well as you'd want it to in the live shows. Steve has had a few issues in some past shows where he's noticed that the audience members are not knowing the lyrics to his music and just coming to the shows to see this viral clip, which is sad. Made one of the best albums of the year, no doubt, and is one of the fastest rising artists around. But yeah, he, like we were saying before the show, he's seeing what it means to be a pop phenomenon in 2022 and not loving it. And he lets the crowd sing and they can literally only sing the seven second TikTok part of Bad Habit, yeah. which luckily is the chorus, but still. It, and it's weird because... And again, that's a case where it is the chorus, but what I'm seeing is sometimes, for example, I, like I love the whole Carly Rae song, even though the, the rest of the song is a different vibe from that bridge, but people being like, I looked up the actual song and man, it sounds nothing like this. I don't like it. Yeah. It's just tough. It's tough. There's a million examples of this. There's that great Muna song, Silk Chiffon, a great song as a whole, but the best hook in it, I do think TikTok's right about this. TikTok is right that the, they didn't necessarily make the best hook, the life so fun part, isn't the actual chorus. And I think TikTok did what a producer maybe should have done, which is in the old days when people had different kinds of producers, it was more common for a Rick Rubin or whatever to be like, that's your chorus. Take that part and make that your chorus. And instead of producers doing that, <laughs> it's now the audiences. And I do think that's an example of that. With Midnight's, all sorts of things are becoming trends, and many of them are the actual hook. It's funny, people were actually like, Taylor wrote the It's Me high part to go viral on TikTok, and I was like, please, she didn't need to do that. It just went viral because it's a great hook. It's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me, at tea, time, everybody. That's not how it works. I think that's a very cynical 
way yeah, of looking from, at it. Also, it's Taylor Swift. Like, I think and somebody's <laughs> yeah. going to make something go viral from that. There's also that, like, really silly dance from Bejeweled, where, I don't know if you've seen it, there's this guy on TikTok who just made this really simple, silly dance to, to be apart from Bejeweled that has gone completely crazy viral and well-deserved. His name is Michael Arellano, and he just, it, he, like, does this little jazz hands to a part of bejeweled and struts and that's the entirety of the viral clip and look yeah the, the songs just dropped two weeks ago and it already has 120k videos with the sound and by a lot of really big tiktokers as well um including Taylor, which is insane. So it's been really cool to see this sort of thing just happen a little bit naturally. The one thing that I do feel worried about though, Brian, is what this means for artists who want to build their platforms on TikTok. Looking for this viral 10 second clip to go nuts and then not really being able to feel, build a following out of it. You mentioned that Thundercat song. Frankly, I didn't even know Thundercat sang that song. And that's, I think part of the right. problem is that I think people are connecting to the content of it, but not necessarily the artist. So it makes it really difficult for the artist to possibly build a career or like a following just on a viral clip. It takes so much more effort than that. And I think that might be a little bit of a slippery slope if we start to talk about music and new artists who might think that this is the avenue to making your music career launch. In the cases where they're not using the main hook, you're just providing the raw material for TikTok to sample and remix. At the same time, people like Steve Lacey and a million others have gotten huge boosts from TikTok. It gives and it takes. I don't know. No, it's definitely like both of those things. I think if you are able to harness that energy, and I'll be honest, I think Omar Apollo has done a really good job of it. We just talked about how he literally renamed the song. I think it works well, but I think there comes a time where it's, okay, how do we transfer these viral sounds into real streams, into real fans who will be long lasting? Because as you said, with Loneliest Time even, it's a part of the song that doesn't even sound like the rest of the song. So when somebody goes to stream it, they're going to be like, what the heck is this? It's also weird. It shows the futility of trying to craft songs for TikTok because, again, she never could have predicted. Rufus says when he first heard that part of the song, he was like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> it, it sounded like he almost wanted to tell her to leave it off, which is so funny. So it just shows you can't, all you can do is just, I think, is just still make a great song the same way you would have in any era. and. Just be confident that if you're making something great, people will find some part of it in some way. It, it, but also be warned, it might not be the part you meant. Exactly. No, very true. And that is our episode. Rolling Stone Music Now will be back next week. But in the meantime, please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And maybe leave us five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, because that's always deeply appreciated. But as always, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did. And they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.